Thanks, Martin. Thanks, uh, worship team. So I just want you guys to know I'm a little bit run down. It's been a crazy busy few weeks. So I'm feeling a little bit weak this morning, but we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to come in. Just work in our hearts. Pink paper is not something that I chose. <laughs> I live with a house full of ladies, and uh, every one of my journals has a drawing from Lily Ann, so I needed to find something clean. And so she gave me some of her paper. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, this morning I do feel a little bit weighty with the message because it seems like a simple one, but actually I'm really praying that it will bring a whole lot of truth into our hearts and that we'll begin to walk in freedom, true freedom, freedom that only the Holy Spirit can do in and through us. And uh, if I would title anything, I'd call this Love One Another as I Have Loved You. And I came across this uh, in preparation. I think about two weeks ago, we went at an elders meeting and Rian asked us, what do you think your role is? And um, I thought about it for a while and I just remembered that morning that the Lord had spoken to me because I was praying about something, and I just, I asked God, like, Lord, like, you know, we always hear, I want to be on fire for you, and Lord, I want to be sold out for you, and like, Lord, how can I impact your kingdom? And specifically that morning, that was my prayer request. And then the Lord spoke to me, and he took me to the story of Jesus, and toward the end of his life, and he reminded me about the story of where Jesus just serves, and and I'll take you through that. But it's amazing because I've never read this before. So from the whole of John, John chapter 13 all the way through, it's the end of Jesus' life. When you are a person of importance and you know that you're going to leave responsibility with people, you want to make sure that no matter all the lessons that I taught, I know that I'm going to die tonight. Or in this next few days. I know they're going to come and fetch me. So I want to leave one thing that is going to remain. And normally when we preach, we leave that one thing right at the end. So we're not really too concerned about what you hear at the beginning. It's the landing that is important. And it's the same thing for Jesus. He goes, these guys have been walking with me for three years now. And I'm about to lay down my life. And then he says to them, you know. This is the one thing that I want to leave with you. And John chapter 13, verse 31 to 35, he says, I'll read it over here. He says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now this is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then he drops this on them, and he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. By this people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then he continues, and we go through to John chapter 14, and again in verse 21, he says, 
Whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then we move over to John 15, verse 12 and 17. 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than someone lay down his life for his friends. And then in verse 17 he says, These things I command you, so that you will love one another. And it's amazing that the end of his time with his disciples, the one thing that he emphasizes is not go and set people free from demons and go and preach. Well, he does give them that commission. But the whole emphasis is this, that you'd love one another the way that I love you. And I think the reason why he said this was because he had known what was about to unfold and what is in the hearts of every human being. And whether we, the good person in our family or the black sheep of the family, all of us, we're self-centered. We're selfish. We want acknowledgement. There's something within the human race that just wants to grab and have some sort of entitlement. And now we're living in this day and age where that is rife. Like it's not even wrong to have that sort of attitude. I can, I am, man of the hour. I mean, there's so many things and there's so many platforms to develop this thing. And so our kids are growing up in a society where it's completely me, myself, and I. And it doesn't matter how you feel or what you believe, like as long as this thing is right to me, I don't care how you feel. This is the end times that we live in. And what has happened is Jesus, for knowing this and knowing what the future is going to look like, he uses people to write about the end times. And the sad thing about this is that this thing has crept into the church. And so what we have is we have this ministry where rightful, and again, like we don't judge it because it could have been us. We've got to pray into those areas. But you got this pastor who is, he's the man of the hour. And it looks so attractive from the front that that's what the congregation longs for. So everybody longs for a position because that thing looks so attractive. And you know the Jesus that I read of, man, if I look at his lifestyle, I go, God, that's the last thing that I want to put my hand up for. Here's a man that comes onto the earth humble. King of all kings, Lord over all lords. At a sound of his voice, like angels tremble. They go like, this is the king. And he comes and he goes like, even though I carry all their titles, and in a moment, I can destroy the world and lift it up. I want to come and dwell among men. I want to come and I want to serve. And I look at the church today and I go, God, is this really the Jesus we see in our churches today? We got our smoke and our lights going and we're entertaining people. And what we're doing is we're creating this culture where it's all about me, myself, and I, and my ministry, and how important I am, and my gifting. And God goes, that's the last thing I want from you. 
the most important thing that you can ever do is to love people the same way that I do. And I feel completely unqualified to share this because I know about my own struggles. I know about how I also try to grasp for things. I know the selfish ambition inside of me. But I go, God, like, I want to thank you that in John 14, I, I don't know specifically, so you don't have to pick it up, but it says, Jesus then speaks to his disciples and he says, and you know, greater things than what I have done, you will also do. And when I was a young Christian, I read that as, Jesus raised the dead. I'm going to raise a hundred dead people. If Jesus, you know what I mean? If Jesus was powering in the gospel, I'm also going to be like that. But now I read that and I go, Yo, Jesus, what you were saying is, if you were able to love people to the point of death, then somehow you've given me grace to love, even when it's not being received in any way. And so Matthew, Jesus prophesies this, and I think it's so important so that we can identify what the true Jesus looks like. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11 and 12, he says, I'm just paraphrasing, but it will probably be at the back of here. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. Unbelievable. It's like, I don't care how you feel. You can cry in front of me. You can sob in front of me. Like, if you're not on the same page where I am, I'm cold toward you. Matthew, same chapter, 23 and 24 says, Then if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. That is so important, the elect. I just did some research last night. Do you know that there's about 7.8 billion people on the earth? The biggest religion in the world is Christianity. About 2.4 billion people are Christians or claim to be Christians. If we're really living like Christ did, Christ affected 11 people. If I work out the Psalms, and I'm not good at maths, but somehow this made sense to me. It means that for me, being a true believer, I can at least affect three people in this lifetime. And this whole world will change. Each one of us just affect three people in this lifetime, and this whole world will change. Because of the number of people that claim to be Christians. 2.4 billion people. And yet we see we're the most divided religion there is. And yet we see that, no, we're not affecting the world. But I'm not surprised because actually Jesus spoke about an elect people. And there's gospels going around where once you're saved, that's the end of it. You don't have to worry. You don't have to ask for forgiveness of your sins. You don't have to live and hold on to the truth until the end. You can still come to church and at the same time sleep with your girlfriend. There's absolutely nothing like that because there's grace for it. You can be a pastor and still have all the worldly things in the world because why are you the head and not the tail? And I go, whoa. If I read this scripture, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. There's going to be a lot of Christ-like people that will come.
And the thing that is going to entertain the people that make them feel like, ah, this must be Jesus, is the signs and wonders. So I can be having three or four wives and girlfriends and sleep around, but because I proclaim Christ and His forgiveness, and because I'm doing miracles in His name, I can captivate people. And people like that because we are people that are selfish. We want the limelight. Paul speaks to Timothy and he says in 2 Timothy 3, 2, people will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure rather than God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And you know, maybe I'm throwing out big, big examples, but just to show you how subtle this thing is, lovers of pleasure. It's like if I'm truly devoted to God, I understand that my lifespan is so short but if I'm a lover of pleasure, everything else fits first into my life and then Jesus comes. So I go, hey man, I'm a man that loves to camp. And I see, hey, the only camping gap that I have is this coming Sunday. Ah, oh, that's my pleasure. That's something that I love enjoying to do. So I'm going to choose that over meeting with the saints. Or, you know what? I know that there's a men's meeting or ladies meeting, but actually... Saturday is, is for me. It's for me and my rugby. Like, I don't feel important enough, or not important, I don't think that's important enough for me to be there because this is my sort of thing that I like. And I know it. I don't want to put a heavy on anybody, but these are the real challenges. And what Jesus is saying like is, hey, you better wake up. Like, that is a self-centered belief that you have in your heart where it's a consumer sort of Christianity that you're beginning to believe. And for me, I go, your God, like, now please just don't hear what I'm not saying. There are times where, man, one day Lily Ann's going to be big, and I'm going to go, I have to watch her to play soccer. <laughs> and uh, so I want to be there. And there's going to be times where I've got to weigh out things. But I think the scale that Jesus is talking about, like, my life has got to look like I'm devoted to God and to his people. It's easy to see when somebody else's life is devoted to other things, where there's a love of pleasure more than a love of God. So please hear my heart in that. James chapter 3, verse 13 to 17, NIV. This one I'd like to read. It's crazy. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly and spiritual and of the devil. That is crazy. doesn't say... Whoever steals, whoever murders, like that's of the devil. It actually just says that if you harbor in jealousy, envy, and bitterness, and you proclaim to be a believer, that wisdom that you're walking in is completely earthly, worldly, and of the devil. How crazy is that? How many times do we come to a community meeting or even to church and we harbor in jealousy, envy, and bitterness. We come to the front with no guilt, 
on our mind, thinking that Jesus is enjoying my time of worship. And Jesus goes and he goes like, man, that to me is like, your very words are, because he knows in your heart you're harboring jealousy, envy, bitterness. You're looking at the life of somebody else and you're going like, I want that life. Oh, I wish my kids were like that. Oh, I wish I had that sort of car, that sort of job. Lord, why must I be in a position where people are living in houses? I must stay in a granny flat. Oh, the way that person greeted me, I expected a hug and a smile, and all they did was give me a nod. Honestly, seriously, guys, like, promise you, bitterness, and then we come to the front and we worship like nothing is happening. And I think how Jesus sits over there, and I, and I just picture him grieving, going like, Yo, you know that James writes, and he says, don't you know that the spirit longs jealously within you? In other words, Jesus sees, and he sees my spirit inside of Hebron, and yet Hebron would speak ill of me. And he goes, don't you know, like, I found you so fit that I'd give you my spirit. And even with my spirit inside of you, you still harbor jealousy and bitterness and envy. And I'm thinking like, God, we need you. God, we need you. But I want to say this hope. Even today, with all these things that I've mentioned, and again, like I say, I'm not there. I'm also on a journey to get there. But I want to thank God for His Holy Spirit. I want to thank God that He set an example for us. I want to thank God that He did say, hey, I have to go. Because when I go, the Holy Spirit will come. And what you can't do in your own strength, the Holy Spirit is going to help you to do these things. I need to go and I need to lay down my life because through my body and through my blood, you can have fellowship with me until the very end. I have to go because I know that in your own strength and in your own self, like, man, you're going to end up being selfish, ambitious, and you're going to end up dividing things even into your family. But if I go, I leave my Holy Spirit with you. And so I want to read this story to you guys where I'd mentioned right at the beginning Jesus being on his last and he's going, what is the last thing that I can leave with you guys? So we all know it's to love one another the same way that he's loved me. Why did he say that? Why did he change the commandment from Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Good answer, Sean. He asked, he's changed it because of this. Like, I can't love Sean the way I love myself because the way I love myself might be different to the way Sean loves himself. So, you know, in marriage, we get this whole five love languages thing and my love language might be touch and words of affirmation. So if I'm loving my wife only in that, I'm loving her out of my place of love. But hers might be quality time and service. So the more I'm loving out of my love, 
she's not feeling loved at all because there hasn't been one time where I've washed the feet. There hasn't been one time where I've just been spending some time with her. All that I'm doing is just giving her words of affirmation. Hey, love, you look beautiful. Hey, love, and touching her arm. And I'm thinking that I'm loving her. And that's why Jesus changes things. He says, no, no, no. Don't love people the way you love yourself. Some of us don't even love ourselves. But that's not important. What is important is this, that he changes it and he goes, love the way that I have loved you. And so here we are in this end time. And it's amazing because in Mark chapter 10, 35 to 45, I think I'm going to read that one. But I'll read it from the screen. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit at your, one at your right and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink or to be baptized in the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and he said to them, you know, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentile lorded over them. And the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever must be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would first among you must also be a slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom. And that's amazing because James and John, they're just very vocal. But as we can see in that passage, the rest of them, they start to like... You know, wrestle with one of this thing, like, who's James and John to go and ask him to be on his left hand and on his right hand? And I'm thinking, like, James and John were vocal about it, but it's the same thing in your heart as well. And Jesus stops him in the middle of that, and he goes, no, no, no. Whoever wants to be top must become low. Whoever wants to be great must be able to serve. And so he changes the whole kingdom thing. And then in Luke chapter 22, verse 24 to 29, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the gentle exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For it is the greater who reclines at the table or is it the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assigned to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom. And that's it. Okay, cool. So here's the thing. So now we come to John chapter 13 where I'm going to read. And it's a story about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But I love that it says over here in this word as he starts over here. Now before the feast of the Passover, when I'm going to be reading eh? uh, John 13 from verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were with in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, 
when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing the Father and giving him all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has birthed or bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And now you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed to his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and right so, for I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also need to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also do, should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking to all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. You ate my bread and has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one that I've sent. And I want to say this, that in this moment over here, like, so why I mentioned those other scriptures before was because this is the second time that there was a little bit of jostling for position. So when I read it in Mark, it wasn't time for the Lord to depart yet. So it wasn't that last supper moment. And then when I read it in Luke, this is the time where actually they are having supper together. And again, this thing comes up about position in the kingdom. And so Jesus realizes like, whoa, I'm about to die. And this is the second time that there's this argument about being greatest in the kingdom. And so Jesus realizes like now in this moment, like I can't just tell you that you need to come and that you need to serve. And so what he does in that moment, like he actually stands up and he takes out his outer garment. And I love that they use the word outer garment. In other words, I'm taking off who you guys identify me as. And then he says to them, you call me Lord and you call me teacher and you're 100% correct. Just like us, we worship and we call you Lord and we call you Master and you're the God of all gods. But we need to understand this. And I think even for some of us, while Anaya was singing the song, like it was difficult to grasp that the king would be in love with me. I'm in love with the king and the king is in love with me. And Jesus goes in this moment and he goes, man, I'm all that, but I've got a bigger picture to show you. And the picture that I want to show you is that though you call me Lord and though you call me teacher, I didn't come over here to brag about my titles. I came to show you a new kingdom. And the kingdom before was all about power and dominating other nations. But this kingdom is completely different. This kingdom is one of humility. One where we come and we serve one another. 
And Jesus and, and Peter can't grasp this. And he goes like, Lord, like, what are you doing? Like, how can you wash my feet? And I'm sure a lot of us done church history. And we know that, man, if somebody comes into your home as a guest, it would be the servant of the servants that will come and wash your feet. And so for Peter, seeing the teacher, the rabbi, the Lord wanting to wash his feet, like he stops Jesus right there in his tracks. And he goes, God, you're the Messiah. How can you even wash my feet? And you know, I was thinking about it. I was thinking like, God, how does that relate to us today? Because we don't have servants. You come and visit me. I'm not going to wash your feet. I don't have anybody else to wash your feet. But how do we relate that to this day and age. And you know, I thought about it. I thought, God, what is the most offensive thing for me that somebody can tell me? And the Lord said to me, you know what, Yurik? Babe, can you give me that? If I may ask? And so we don't have servants and maidservants, but the last thing that any of us want to be known as is a doormat. And you know, I bring this thing not to be funny, but to show you the reality of what our Savior became. Do you know the reason why we have doormats? is because they want your feet to be clean before you come into my house to fellowship with me. And what Jesus did in that moment was this. He said, hey, Peter, you're going to fail. You're going to mess up. But I'm coming to make sure that every time you want to fellowship with me, you clean your feet so that you can have fellowship with me. And then he says, this is how I want you to love one another. Don't hold wrongs against one another. Don't aim to be the top man. Be that doormat so that when people come and meet with you, they have fellowship with me. And I was raised in a society that says, how dare you call me a doormat? How dare you challenge me? How dare you go against me? How dare you overlook me? And Jesus go, that kingdom is not of me. My kingdom is one where I serve. And the Lord spoke to me clearly that day. And I thought about Rian's question. And he said, Eureka, are you willing to be a doormat in my kingdom? Are you willing to push others forward? Are you willing to encourage are you willing to be the man in the background? And in my flesh, are we? No. Please, just a little bit of glory, God. But when I read about Jesus, I realized, like, man, this is the model that my Savior did for me. And then I'll tell you a true story about what changed my walk with the and I. Like, man, first of all, I want to honor my wife. You know, they say, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And honestly, like guys, like you don't want to have a partner for the rest of your life. You want to have a wife. And she's, as young as she is, like she's needed to learn to lay down things. I mean, honestly, she would love to fellowship. She'd love to go mom, park, hawks. Honestly, she'd love to have like the coffee times, the stuff that looks so cool on Instagram. But she married me. <laughs> and our life don't look like that. Our life is, I work six days a week. She's got to look after our daughter. 
She comes alongside me so that whatever I'm involved in can be fruitful. And so she lays down times with the friends, times with building, and just to look after our daughter. And I go, yo, she's more of that doormat than what I am. But she's helping me fulfill something in the kingdom of God. And I want to say that for us, there was a time where, like in terms of my identity, like I really struggled. So my whole self-worth was about doing things. So when you acknowledge that I've done something, like, man, that blows my heart away. Like, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so grateful. And uh, I got saved, and I got radically saved. And so from a very, from the time that I got saved, like, people identified an anointing and a call of God on me. And I would have opportunities very young, and we had older elders, and I think I was probably one of the first young guys to be able to preach in the congregation, And for me, my whole mindset was, that's what it means to be on fire for God. (laughs) I'm sure I shared this with you guys about Wilmery, where's Abigail? Is Abigail still here with us? Okay. And uh, he was mentoring me at the time, and he said, hey, Yurik, tell me a dream of what you feel the Lord is calling you into. Throw it on a picture for me. (laughs) And I drew this picture where... I'm preaching with a chain on and my cap to the side and everybody's in front getting slain in the spirit. And he looked at this picture and he just said, okay. (laughs) And that was my idea of being on fire for the Lord because that's the society we grow up in. I wanted to be a Benihin. I wanted to be a Kriflo dollar because it just looked so amazing. Then God started doing a deep work within me. Now you must understand I have this whole thing where that's my, you know, that's my, uh, that's my comfort. Affirmation was my comfort. And so I've learned to work from being a saint to being a youth leader to being a community leader to being a deacon and then to being an elder. And all the while God's been so gracious and faithful and I didn't do it intentionally, you know what I mean? I'm not like, okay, that's my next position now, that's my next position now. But in one sense, like every time I came into something different, like there was just complete affirmation, like I almost felt like, oh God, I must be doing well in your kingdom. And then we came onto eldership and God knowing like, hey, this is a responsibility where now you're not just looking after yourself and your family, you got to look after my people as well. And there's a flaw, a crack that God sees, and he goes, if this thing is not dealt with, you can become a Krefro dollar. So he sees this thing, and nobody knows it in the background, because in front, hey, so sorry, man. Barry, so nice to have you with us. Barry is one of my school colleagues. So that's amazing. Yo, short brief for coming through, eh? Lekker, sorry, that's in the middle of this. But anyway, so I'm... I'm, I'm you know what I mean? So that's my whole thing. So young elder, fire for the Lord. But in the background, like, man, I am struggling with lust. Like, struggling. And we were dating at the time. And I'm telling you, Anaya can wear a big tracksuit. And I look at it and I just go like, yo. And like, really, that's the level of struggles that I'm having. But I also know, hey, I'm an elder got to be above reproach. 
But every time she's around, like, I am so weak. And God knows this. But God's not too concerned about, no, he is, but he knows, like, there's a bigger picture that I'm working toward. And so we begin to push boundaries while I begin to push boundaries. So I'm thinking, okay, God, I'm not sleeping with her, but I am pushing boundaries. And eventually, like, this thing comes out into the light and sit down with the elders and they go, like, hey, you like, we're going to extend grace to you. You've got to ask for forgiveness to the congregation. Let them know your struggles. And so I do it. And we do it together. And shame, poor Anais just with me in all these things. Him who finds a wife finds a good thing. So anyway, she's with me. And then uh, we carry on. And uh, we're going to get married, I think, within three months. Eh? So I'm telling, it's like I'm telling the Lord, just, just three months, God. Keep me pure for three months. It's only three months. And I tell you, a month later, you are crumble and I just push boundary again. But this time it was very different. This time the conviction was so rife, it was so real in my heart. And I felt the Lord say like, Yules, like, I want to set you free from this thing. The only way you're going to be set free is if you bring this thing out into the light. And then the whole history of affirmation just comes before me. What are people going to think? Here's this young guy on fire for the Lord, preaching, going out to outreaches, leading people. And here he's got to stand up again in front of a congregation and say, hey, I failed again. And I remember just typing this email to Kim. And I'm thinking like, man, this is going to be so hectic. Everything is going to be stripped away from me. And in that moment, I just felt the Lord say, Yurik, you can continue in this. Or, and nobody will ever know, and you can be an elder, and you can hide this thing over here, and nobody will ever know. Or you can bring this out into the light, and you might lose everything, but you're going to gain me. And then I phoned Anaya, and I said, hey, babe, like, this is where I'm at, and this is my situation. What, was, what do you think? And she said, no, keep it, keep it behind. I'm only kidding. She didn't say that. <laughs> no, she was like, babe, please, you have to do this. And so we sent the mail out to Kim. Elders got together. And it was so different. And I was filled with so much shame and guilt. And I felt like such a loser. And I, everything that I thought about being this man on fire for God, like it just disappeared in that moment. And then I remember Kim just saying, like, hey, we're going to chat this through as a team, and then we're going to chat to Andrew about it, and Andrew will ultimately make the call. And as Kim told me that, and I got into my car, and I was driving home, I felt the Lord say, Yurik, I want to show you something that is completely different in my kingdom. And you were obedient, and I'm going to restore all that self-worth that you were looking for, you're going to find it in me. And there was just like a sense of peace. And I felt like the Lord was saying, like, this is, this is the way I serve in my kingdom. And I'll never forget, two days later, Kim phoned me. And he said, Yurik, spoke to Andrew, spoke to the team. And we both, we all feel in the Lord that we don't want to remove you from eldership. We just want to walk this process through for you. And my heart crushed. I had never been loved in a way, in a manner where, where my guilt was before me. And I, I promise you, I fully deserved not to be on the team. 
and they felt in the Lord that the Lord was saying, exercise grace toward him. And in that moment, this thing became real for me. Where Jesus goes, hey, my boy, you messed up big time. But I want to come and show you that there's a different kingdom that I'm bringing. And it changed our walk completely. We started living in accountability with Kevin Mans. And we ended up finishing off strong. And we kept our purity for that month and a half. And God blessed our marriage. But because he saw that I was willing to be this and lay down everything just to be united with him. He gave us the opportunity to stay on team together. And I want to say, sometimes you feel God like, what is my role? How can I be on fire for the Lord in church? And I want to say, the best way you can be on fire is become something like this. Be this person in your community. Be this person in your marriage. Be this person in church. Be the person that goes like, man, God, I don't have a preaching gift or I don't have an admin gift. But what I can do is I can love. And if it means, God, that I put my ministry and I put my gifting aside just to see other people move forward, and when they come in front and they're preaching, like my heart goes, yo, that's amazing, go for it. And God, like, even if you never do that for me, I want to do that for my brothers. And you know, I can tell you this, whether you're a grandma, whether you're a mom, whether you're an uncle, whether you're an elder, whether you're a saint, whether you're a community leader, if you're able to live like this in the kingdom of God, I'm telling you, one day when you stand before him, he's going to go, you know what, Edwin? You weren't a deacon. You weren't an elder. But I love the way you love my saints. And that is the kingdom and the Jesus that we serve. And I want to say that it's such a privilege to be able to know this truth. And I end off with this words of Jesus in John chapter 13. You know, when there's a blessing, then you must take note of it. Here we go. After he does all these things, he says this in verse 7. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I want to say, blessed are you. I want to be blessed by God, and I know that you also want to be blessed by God. And the way we're going to be blessed by God is this, that we're going to be a people that love and serve one another. And we're going to be a people that honor one another. We're going to be a people that goes like, God, I'm here. I come to church. And I know for them, for, uh, sorry, the, the, this is a very real thing. Sometimes we don't come to church because we feel we don't have really a part. So for community leaders, sometimes it's easier to come to church because you know you're overseeing some people. And for somebody that's on worship, you come because you're in worship. And sometimes we feel like, I don't really have a part and nobody really knows me. I sit in the third row from the back from the, you know what I mean? But actually Jesus goes like, if you understood that you came to love and serve, you've got so much to give. And so when you come on a Sunday, like, man, in your heart, you must be going like, God, like, who can I just encourage today? I might not be the upfront preacher, but I'm surely can pray for someone. Surely I can encourage someone. Surely I can just, you know, just do something, God, that, will lift up their spirit today. And I want to conclude with that. Greater love has no one than this. That you love one another the same way that I love you. You walking that, you're probably fulfilling more in the kingdom than what you and I can think of.
Amen? What? Cool. Jesus, I want to thank you, God, that you gave us such a beautiful example of what it means to serve, Lord. And I know, God, that for many of us, including myself, Lord, like we got bitterness, we got jealousy, we got self-ambition within us, Lord. Because that's what the world portrays to look good. But you came and you showed us a different example, God. You said one where we must come below and we must serve each other. And I want to pray, God, that this would be freedom to so many people. That even though we might not be exercising our gifts, God, and being upfront, Lord Jesus, or leading ministries, God, that doesn't make us less in your kingdom, Lord. You told the disciples, I'm going to go now. But the last message I want to leave with you is this, that you'd love one another the way that I love you. And I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd be a people that love the way you do, God. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, for freedom and for grace over every person here that might have the same challenge that I've had, God, where our whole identity is wrapped up in ministry or wrapped up in being best manager, employee, or any of those things, God. No, Lord, like our identity must be found in Christ. And I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd be secure in that. That if I live my whole life just serving and loving others, that one day when we stand before you, that we will hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I thank you for giving us such an example. In Jesus' name, amen.